Welcome to the Wildly Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Shayna Painter, integrative nutritionist and founder of Nourished by Shay. I'm on a mission to redefine wellness from obsessive, rigid, and restrictive to balanced, vibrant, and joyful. I'm so honored and grateful you are here. Let's get rooted. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is dedicated to redefining wellness, a topic I feel very passionate about, especially in today's digital world. There is so much information on the internet about ways to become healthier, to support your body, and it's a gift, but it's also a curse in many different ways. We are going to chat about why a healthy relationship with food and your body is truly the foundation of health, which I personally believe without may lead to many different blind spots, breed unhealthy patterns, potentially leading to an increased risk for disease, inflammation, and other negative consequences. My entire background of health has been from a holistic functional medicine approach to care, which is really from this vantage point that's different than the conventional medical system. When I am coming from a root-caused approach to health or even to nutrition, it really requires leaning into a particular modality of medicine called bioregulatory medicine. And bioregulatory medicine really represents this idea of supporting the body to becoming a homeostatic or balanced, regulatory, self-sustaining, self-healing system once more by assessing the sums of the whole versus parts of the whole. When you address the sum of a whole person, we are also addressing emotional, spiritual, psychosocial well-being that plays into the manifestation of dis-ease and how these areas create a foundation to build healthy practices. If we are mentally unwell, it is more likely that we are going to engage in practices that contribute to dis-ease rather than contribute to health. I want to highlight one specific area we focus on the parts of the sum, which is solely focusing on weight loss to improve health. This can really oversimplify a complex issue. Weight is just one aspect of a multifaceted system that includes things like genetics, environment, and biochemical responses. The Western medical model often ignores emotional, psychosocial, genetic, environmental, and spiritual aspects of weight gain and instead approaches it as a single isolated problem to be solved. Contrary to popular belief, a study published in the Journal of the Board of American Family Medicine found that simply adopting healthy promoting habits, so not smoking or drinking to excess such as binge drinking, exercising regularly, and eating five or more fruits and vegetables per day is associated with significant decrease in mortality regardless of body mass. Like, wow, that is impactful just to say, not only to hear back. The BMI is a problematic measure. It was never designed to be a measure of health. If you'd like to learn a little more in depth about the history of diet culture and the BMI, I highly recommend visiting my website, nourishedbyshay.com, clicking on courses and guides to purchase the Ditch Dieting Start Intuitive Eating Masterclass for $29. It's an instant replay of a live masterclass that I held right after the new year hit, and it was so incredibly impactful live, I knew that I had to share it ongoing. It really walks you through the history of diet culture and the history of the BMI and how it's been so controversial for decades. As with nutrition, there is nuance to weight and the implications that it plays in our health, thus basing an individual's entire health off of a number on the scale that 
doesn't differentiate between adipose tissue or fat tissue and muscle or brown adipose tissue, which are both metabolically healthy, leaving it very hard to reason that weight loss is the only means to health. Now, I want to transition us into why a healthy relationship with food is truly the foundation by discussing what a healthy relationship with food looks like and also what an unhealthy relationship with food might look like as well as the implications of both. Research shows addressing health from a weight-centric vantage point leads to hypervigilance, obsession with food, binge eating episodes, fewer consumption of fruits and vegetables, more erratic and consistent movement regimens, and less attention to areas of health like stress management and sleep quality, which we know are incredibly important. Whereas research also reveals that nutrition care and health that is delivered from a weight-neutral perspective has the opposite impact. More normalized eating patterns that have been shown to increase consumption of fruits and veggies, consistent movement regimens, positive influences on stress management, sleep quality, social relationships, and so much more. In my opinion, eroding one's relationship with food and their body for the basis of weight equaling health is part of the problem why we are so sick in the United States. We've missed a huge part of the pie for a small sliver. That's why diet culture is so pervasive and harmful to our relationship with food. It's really a narrative that we've all been indoctrinated into without consent or information on the implications. To expand upon this point further, diet culture often promotes restrictive dieting that not only has a negative impact on our mental health, but also on our physical health. Limiting our micronutrient intake or our consumption of food supplying nutrients like vitamins and minerals for a pure focus on caloric density may lead to nutrient depletions. This may further cravings, fixation with hyperpalatable foods, or foods that have been altered from their biologic state, thinking anything that has come from Coca-Cola or like the Frito-Lay brand. These are really designed to become addictive sources of energy for the body as they provide quick and easy glucose. In America, we're really at a disadvantage to the corporations whose hand largely controls our food. Most of the packaged foods on our shelves contain pesticides, herbicides that have been coined as quote-unquote obesogens, meaning these are known chemicals that lead to the body holding onto adipose tissue as a defense mechanism because toxins are stored in fat cells. If you think of them like a um, file cabinet, they're really easy places to store things, lock them away, and forget that they ever existed. These harmful obesogens are not only in our food system, but also in products that we use, and individuals who are in lower socioeconomic statuses are at the greatest disadvantage to becoming preyed upon by these corporations because they are customers of their business, the medical system, and they feed into each other. I often label hyperpalatable foods as frankenfood to simply highlight the disconnection and disassociation that these foods have with real food, And the intention is never to demonize these foods. As I mentioned, access and distribution to healthier foods is limited, especially in socioeconomic um, statuses that are lower and communities that are predominantly black and brown. There is influencers who list toxic chemicals on Instagram to avoid, and it can be really overwhelming for those who can't afford to purchase organic or who don't actually have access to real fresh food. 
and it might be jarring for those of us who are in higher economic statuses to conceptualize, but if you've ever road tripped across America, which I recently did when I went from Idaho to Wyoming, you might understand the reality that I'm describing for many. We came upon a city where there was absolutely no fresh food places other than the grocery store for us to stop and get food. And so we had to stop at fast food because it was the only real restaurants that were there. Chronic dieting or diet cycling is one of the most predicting causes of weight gain in the long term, and it shows that it actually slows down your metabolism. You really can't outsmart your body. It's an intelligent machine. It has genetic influences from your great-great-grandparents who walked through time of feast and famine. And from an evolutionary standpoint, your genetics create adaptive insights to predict when a famine is coming, to ensure that resources are well-stocked, and that you avoid malnourishment. The body will always work towards homeostasis, as homeostasis means survival. There's one diet I do want to highlight, which is the ketogenic and low-carb diet, which negatively impact your thyroid function, which is your master metabolism. Metabolism is ultimately defined as the biochemical process and the speed in which they are completed. Not necessarily to be simplified and distilled down into how much calories you burn, but that is a small portion of the metabolism. When the thyroid is slowed due to little access to glucose, aka our body's preferred source of energy coming from things like carbohydrates, there is little adequate excretion of excess of things like estrogen through the stool as things like constipation arises. Motility becomes slowed because there's not enough energy to actually kickstart the bowels. This can lead to things like overgrowths in the GI, imbalances of the microbiome, which can further impact our excavation of waste as poop is a huge part of a healthy microbiome. And lower thyroid function can lead to more adipose retention because adipose is the safest option to store toxins. And if we're not able to excrete them through our stool, we're going to put them into those file cabinets as I briefly described. So that way it is safer for the body. When we're chronic dieting and experiencing things like plateaus or the loss of successful weight loss, it can be extremely impactful on our mental health. Many diets promote feelings of guilt and shame, deprivation, anxiety, depression, and just increase our overall perceived stress, which can not only worsen our relationship with our food, but also with our body. Nutrition is not black and white, my friends. It's not rigid. It's not meant to be obsessive. It truly is inherently meant to be energizing, uplifting, nurturing, and a positive influence to our overall mood and our experience on this planet. When we're viewing nutrition from the lens of diet culture, it's all rules, rigidity, black and white thinking, and it naturally breeds the feelings that I just mentioned. I don't know about you, but punish has, punishment has never led me to wanting things more. It has only led me to rebel and to continue to perpetuate these feelings that I described. Cheat days, for example, a coin diet culture term, um, often 
help us to perpetuate this guilt and shame spiral as we often go quote unquote crazy on hyperpalatable foods on our quote unquote cheat day, which really are just designated binge days and lead to a lack of balance of finding places for these foods in our week versus just one specific intentionally carved out day. And this can really create more brain space dedicated to these hyperfallible foods, increasing cravings, and already we are at a disadvantage because these foods have the three flavor factors, salt, sugar, and fat, which already increases their desirability. Diet culture also reinforces this idea that health is centric to body shapes and sizes. And I often say this to my clients because I think it needs to be said over and over again, but size is nuanced. You can be thin and you can be healthy. You can be thin and you can also be unhealthy. You can be in a larger size body and be unhealthy. And you can also be unhealthy in the same token. Health is not defined by size. And focusing on health from the relationship of body sides equaling health can not only breed negative relationships with your food, but also distrust of the body, body dysphoria, and dysmorphia, as well as negatively impact our overall self-esteem. And like I've mentioned a couple times, we know when our mental health is compromised, tending to our body in a compassionate and loving way is really challenging. I mean, heck, getting out of bed is a challenge all on its own. For example, when we analyze health from size, we throw individuals such as athletes into an unhealthy category of the BMI because they often pass into overweight or defined obese categories. And I have heard people say, well, they're athletes, of course they're healthy, but that in itself is a generalization and black and white thinking stemming from diet culture who believes that we have to over-exercise and under-eat in order to be healthy. However, I've worked with a lot of athletes and most of the athletes that I've worked with ranging from all different types of sports often have a negative relationship with food and their body. They might engage in binging, over-restricting, may not have a period, do not cope with stress well, sleep like crap, and truly their blood work shows it. But because they're active, they're defined as quote-unquote healthy. And I'm curious where you find sense in that. The medical industry, as well as the industry at large, is inherently fatphobic. And it's astounding because it really relates back to systemic roots of racism. I highly recommend reading Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings, as I am not an individual of color, I'm not an individual residing in a fat body, thus I feel it is best to learn from those who are in marginalized communities such as this um, to really understand their experience, rather than individuals like myself who are cis, hetero, white women that maintain thin privilege. Celebrating body diversity has been labeled as a way to normalize unhealthy bodies, but really it, it allows for diverse identification with this idea that health is not subjective just to body size alone. Celebrating all bodies allows for marginalized communities of people such as BIPOC, non-binary, queer, transgender to exist without scrutiny of their bodies. If you don't follow diverse body sizes on Instagram or on social media in general, I highly recommend doing so as it does fringe upon your own internalized fat phobia and supports a healthier relationship with food as you start to remove this idea that health is defined by one particular size. A lot of the characteristics of diet culture has normalized 
ideas and behaviors that are resemblant of disordered eating, which is why I spent a good amount of time talking to you leading up to this point about diet culture and the fat phobia that's in our institutions today. Disordered eating may be defined as restrictive eating, compulsive eating, or regular or inflexible eating patterns. Recognizing and being honest with yourself about your habits around food is not easy, um, as often diet culture has painted the illusion that it's in the name of health. But as I've just mentioned, it's often far from health. Looking at a healthy relationship with food is really defined in a way that is social, fulfilling, culturally intertwined, and flexible. Nourishing from a vantage point of love, compassion, satisfaction, and joy. Without these feelings of guilt, shame, and hatred. A healthy relationship with food really encompasses enjoying foods that you understand are health-promoting, but also that you enjoy. For example, you can recognize that eating enough protein per day contributes to maintaining lean muscle mass, or that eating enough carbohydrates provides you with energy and mood stability to accomplish your tasks. A healthy relationship with food may also include mindful-based eating, slowing down, enjoying the food that is eating until you're comfortably full and honoring your hunger instead of pushing it off until you're ravenous not adopting things like food rules or labels with your food and releasing this idea of good versus bad and rather just identifying food as either nourishing and nutrient dense playful or just letting go of this idea and need to restrict it can be really hard to conceptually identify with these ideas when you've dieted for most of your life. But getting curious on ways that you might nourish from love is a really great step in the right direction. Cultivating a healthier relationship with food takes a lot of patience, my friends. If you've dieted for most of your life, it is going to take a while to unravel the learned behaviors and also understand and unroot the reasons that you've adopted for certain ways of being. It might take you more self-compassion, more curiosity, and practice than you may even expect, but it is doable and it is achievable. There are so many factors that influence and play a role in our relationship with food, such as cultural, evolutionary, social, family, individualistic beliefs, economic status, and psychological. Food insecurity itself often leads to a more challenging relationship with food, and I do want to highlight that and create space for that and acknowledge that in this conversation. So now that we've highlighted what diet culture is, what an unhealthy relationship with food looks like, and also what a healthy relationship with food looks like, here are a few tips on how to explore your relationship with food and to start shifting into a relationship that actually fosters health, both physical and mental. So the first tip I want to provide you is just to take a moment to explore your current relationship with food in a radically honest and accepting way. I want you to avoid the temptation to pass judgment or feelings of shame, guilt, or whatever the emotion might resonate you might resonate with. And I just want you to see where you can commit to one small action that might positively alter that relationship with food, such as no longer body checking, such as no longer weighing yourself every day, such as committing to eating one vegetable with dinner every night this week, or taking a shower every day, maybe calling up a friend on mo during moments that you feel like you might engage in a binge episode, something that feels very accomplishable and doable for where you're at, not where you think you should be. 
The second thing is I want you to identify what might not be fostering a healthy relationship with food in your body. Is it your partner or your family that make cruel comments about your body size? Is it surrounding yourself with friends who are always dieting or speaking negatively about their bodies? Is it only following thin individuals on social media or is it rooted in this avoidance of tending to your needs because you don't inherently believe that you're worthy? Again, the intention is not to pass judgment, but rather to take an inventory of where you can start to improve your relationship with food outside of diet culture's regimen of eating regularly, eating balanced meals, eating three meals per day, and rules, 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 and rigidity. I want you to take a look and an inventory into where you can meet yourself where you are. The next thing that might be helpful is noticing your emotional response that you feel in relation to food. Is it due to diet culture language that fuels judgment and guilt with hyperpalatable foods? So thinking those fun, playful foods like a Snickers bar or ice cream. Noticing those stories that we tell ourselves about food can really lead to a great identification of various roots that might need to be unearthed and unlearned in order to move forward. The next tip and the last tip that I will provide for you today is to explore how it feels to eat mindfully. I often challenge my clients to eat a food that they love, whether that be a balanced meal full of veggies, proteins, carbs, and healthy fats, or a McDonald's burger. And I just want you to note what your experience is like. When we constantly distract ourselves from food with other stimuli, such as TV or our cell phones, it really inhibits that mental satisfaction that we normally would gain if we ate the food in a mindful way. This can start to increase overeating or binge eating when we are eating in a non-mindful way because we're not able to quell that missing component that our brain was looking for when we ate the meal. In the show notes for today, I will be providing a few book and workbook suggestions for you to explore your relationship with food in a meaningful way. I will note that unearthing your relationship with food often calls attention to unmet needs and trauma. I highly recommend working with a trained professional as you might find your relationship with food may not be rooted in food itself, but rather ways to cope with negative experiences, fill unmet needs, or habits that have been rooted in attempting to cultivate safety for yourself. When you are challenging your relationship with food, self-care is absolutely imperative. Processing and integrating the wisdom that's been revealed from addressing the roots of the behavior is really fucking tough. Please be gentle. Please be kind with yourself. Have compassion for yourself. Folks, even like myself, are still in the process of supporting a healthy relationship with food. And with everything, it is about the journey, not the destination. I really hope today's episode provided you with tangible insight as to why a healthy relationship with food and your body is the foundation of health. And if you or a loved one are struggling with a disordered eating or an eating disorder, please reach out for support. The National Eating Disorder Association, or NIDA, is an incredible resource and tool, as well as organizations such as Project Heal or Eating Disorder Anonymous. There is no right or wrong time to get support for your relationship with food, and there is no severity that is more valid for treatment. All severities and stages of disordered eating and eating disorders deserve support, so I hope that you allow yourself the ability to gain the care that you deserve. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us for an episode of the Wildly Rooted podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed today's episode. I'd also love to hear from you, so leave a review if you wish, and I can't wait to catch up with you in the next episode. Bye!